you sit down and take up your Bibles again and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 15. And Carrie's going to read uh, for us before Christopher Ash comes to speak to us again. Starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first, because I was with you. Thank you very much for that uh, reading. Do keep that open. We're on page nine of the booklet, where you'll find the... uh headings and things question what do you expect when you go to work on Monday morning what do you expect when you go to a family wedding what do you expect when you meet a group of friends for a drink do you expect to be hated you ought to according to Jesus it's very important for us to expect to be hated as a matter of course in normal life if we're Christians if we don't expect to be hated is there something am I doing something wrong I've got this strange thing like a TV personality it's alright it's okay I'm going to become a Jonathan Ross soon <laughs> yeah, a bit paid like him anyway um <laughs> The, the, the teaching we're going to look at here is really serious because Jesus is, is, we're going to see that Jesus says that if you don't expect to be hated you're probably not going to remain a Christian very long so it's really important if you're not a Christian this, this probably isn't what the staff are hoping that I'm going to say to you at a church weekend but if you're not a Christian um, I'd love you to become a Christian and be hated because <laughs> that's part of the deal so just before coffee we were looking at, at the focus really of Jesus on the church and it's love we saw that love was the outpouring of the Father's love through Jesus and uh, that's, that's described as love or fruit 
So verse 17, just before, um, just before coffee, this is my command, love each other. Christian people are known, the Christian church is to be known by its love. Then in verse 18, there's a really sudden and shocking change of tone by Jesus. Uh, and he goes straight on, if the world hates you. If the disciples of Jesus are known by their love, then the world outside will be known by its hatred. Its hatred for Jesus, its hatred for the Father, and its hatred for Jesus' people. Now, just before we get into this, the world. When John in John's Gospel speaks, or Jesus speaks in John's Gospel of the world, he doesn't mean the cosmos. He doesn't mean the universe, he doesn't mean earth, the earth, he doesn't mean what Attenborough's right, you know, doing programs about life and so on, life on earth, that kind of thing. He doesn't mean that. The world means people. It means human beings organised and living their lives without reference to God. Trying to live, as most people do, um, in the world as though there were no God. Trying to live without, without reference to God. That's what the world um, means. So in John's Gospel, right back in his, his, his prologue, don't look at it now, but, but in chapter 1 verse 10, G Jesus comes into the world and the world doesn't acknowledge him. His own people don't acknowledge him and the world doesn't acknowledge him and won't receive him. And yet in chapter 3 verse 16, God so loved the world, this rebellious world, this bunch of human beings who don't really care about God, and God the Father loves them, pours out his love on them. In chapter 4, Jesus is described as the saviour of the world. So that's the world. Now, the, the main point that Jesus makes in verses 18 to 25 is that if you're a Christian man or woman, the world will hate you. And here's why. And Jesus gives us um, three reasons and one non-reason. So, so verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, and that means if the world hates you, which it will. There's no doubt about that. He's not saying if by any chance you're a bit unlucky and the world hates you. He's saying if the world hates you, which it will. That, that's, that's what it means there. Keep in mind, he says, don't forget this. Know this for certain. Don't ever forget that it hated me first. That is first in time chronologically. They, the world hated Jesus before the world hated the apostles or us. But also first as the sort of prototype the world's hatred prototypically is hatred of Jesus first in primacy and Jesus gives these three reasons and one non-reason here's the first reason verse 19 the world will hate you because the church no longer belongs to the world so verse 19 if you belonged to the world if that's where you belonged in terms of your value system and your aim in life then the world would love you as its own. The world does have a kind of love, but it's a circumscribed love. The love of the world is love for its own. It's like the Freemasons looking after your own, or it's like the love of the rich man in the parable in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man in, in torment in the place of the dead, he cares about his brothers. I expect he was a good family man. He loved his family. That's the love of the world. It's love for your own, but not love beyond that. And the world, the world loves its own. Back in chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, I've come in my Father's name and you won't receive me. But he says, if somebody comes in their own name, in other words, somebody comes you know, blowing their own trumpet, 
puffing themselves, trying to make a name for themselves, you, you receive them. You, you understand that because they speak the same language as you, he says. That's how the world works. The world understands that. The world understands the thrusting go-getter, the person who's out for themselves. The world understands that completely. And it can be the same in the church. In John's first letter, 1 John in chapter 4, he says that, that there was a whole bunch of false teachers, wrong teachers. And he says these, these wrong teachers in, in, in the churches John's writing to are from the world. That is to say their origin spiritually is from the world. They're worldly teachers, that's their values. And therefore he says they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. In other words, they're popular. Which just warns us against the very shallow argument that we sometimes use, and I'm sure I've used, which says that Christian churches that are evangelical and preach the gospel are going to be the big ones. Because the world loves its own, and it's perfectly possible for Christianity to be very, very popular in big churches and completely wrong. So let's not use that argument. It's a very, very dangerous argument. The world loves its own. And even if they're worldly churches, the world will love its own. When Paul writes to Timothy in, to Timothy in Ephesus, it seems quite clear that, that most of the people in the theological colleges and, and theological faculties in Ephesus were liberal. They weren't really Christian, authentically Christian. That was the popular option. The unpopular option was to be faithful to Jesus and the apostles. Now, the world hates the church, verse 19, because... We used to belong to the world, but we don't any longer. And the world hates the church particularly because we are rebels to the cause of ungodliness. Oh, sorry, of ungodliness. We are former rebels who've been won back to the king. And therefore we play the rest of them offside. Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, he says to Christian people, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. A Christian is like a strike breaker. I'm old enough to remember the miners' strikes in the 1980s. It was a time of great tension, social tension. And the people who were hated most by the miners' union were not the government and not the police and not the management. The people who were hated most viciously were the strike breakers. They were the ones who were called scabs. I remember uh, there was an incident where a taxi driver was driving two strike breakers down the M4 to, to, to go and work in one of the mines and some of the striking miners dropped a concrete slab off a motorway bridge and killed them. They were the people who were most hated because they're breaking the strike. That's why Christian people will, will be hated, because we are breaking the strike. We're serving God um, and we're playing others offside. So we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. We should actually be a little bit alarmed when people speak well of us. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 6. shouldn't be surprised if we're hated. We ought to be slightly surprised and perhaps a bit alarmed if we're not. So, for example, here are some, some, some examples how this might work out. If you're a Christian man or woman, then you no longer belong to the corporate culture that wants to maximise profits, no matter what the impact on the workforce or the environment. 
and some people will hate you for that. If you're a Christian, you no longer belong to the work culture that lives for the weekend or routinely cheats on expenses. Some people in the workplace will hate you for that. If you're a Christian man, you no longer, we no longer belong to the lads culture that sees girls as bits of fluff to be played with. Some people will hate us for that. If you're a woman, you no longer belong to the, 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 the culture that thinks that style and fashion is what it's all about and that that's the real value in life. Some people will despise you for that. We no longer belong to a world which regards unwanted pregnancies as disposable or sick elderly relatives as a tiresome distraction. We no longer belong to a world which is characterised by grumbling. Some people will think it very strange that on a Monday morning we no longer grumble and that grumbling is not the default conversation that we have. Or backbiting. I remember two friends of mine who were Christians, they were teaching in the same school and they did a deal that when the conversation in the, in the common room, the teacher's common room, staff room, got all negative and people were backbiting behind people's backs and doing them down, these two Christians would have a competition to see which of them could be the first to think of something positive to say about the person. Sometimes it was quite difficult, but, um, <laughs> but it was good, wasn't it? But sometimes people will hate us for being like that because we no longer belong to the world that's the first reason second reason verses 20 and 21 the world will hate you because we now represent Jesus and Jesus represents the Father so verse 20 remember the words I spoke to you and Jesus is quoting verbatim from something he said to them in chapter 13 the servant is, is, is not greater no servant is greater than his master so he says remember you're servants of a new master you serve on a new team you've been transferred it's the flip side of no longer belonging to the world that we do now belong to Jesus and Jesus says initially to his apostles if they persecuted me which most of them did they will persecute you also he does say the flip side if they obeyed my teaching which some of them did they will obey yours also they'll treat you this way because of my name and Jesus' name is all that Jesus was and is and all he represents it's the Father's name that everything he says and does is what the Father says and does he, repre he represents the Father so Jesus says to his apostles he says they will respond to you the way they responded to me and the way they responded to me is the way they respond to God the Father you are representatives as apostles of God the Father and God the Son now it's not directly true of us e immediately because we're not apostles but the closer we are to the, the teaching of the apostles that is the teaching of the Bible the more closely we represent Jesus and the more closely we represent the Father and therefore people's response to us will at least approximately be the same as their response to the Father and Jesus. Now, to some extent, this has been true all through the Bible story. So when Samuel in the Old Testament, you've got the reference there, 1 Samuel 8, 7, when, when the people rejected him, God said to him, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me, says God. It was the same in Ezekiel, the prophet, that the, the house of Israel isn't willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me says God in Ezekiel 3 and when Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 sees the risen Jesus 
Jesus says to, the, to, to him, why are you persecuting me? Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Jesus' people. But his reaction to Jesus' people was his reaction to Jesus. So either we know the Father or we hate the Father. John is very, very clear about this. Fundamentally, every human being either belongs to Jesus or they belong to the world. Now, some, some of you will be thinking, well, this is all a bit extreme. Surely there are plenty of times when non-Christian people are actually very kind and nice to Christian people. Some of us will have non-Christian parents or siblings who are often very kind to us. They don't hate us, so you say, well, this doesn't ring true. But the point that Jesus is making is this, that if somebody is not really a believer, the time will come when their fundamental orientation, which is that, that I want to live in, in God's world without God, however nice and respectable I may be, I want to live in God's world without God, and the time will come when that fundamental lifestyle orientation is going to be shown in a dislike and hatred of Jesus and Jesus' people. The time will come when that's the, that happens. And when it happens, we shouldn't be surprised. In terms of World War, II, World War II imagery, there's no such thing as a spiritual Switzerland. There's no place of neutrality. There's no place where we can be, be, um, be neutral. So there's the second reason. We now represent Jesus, and Jesus represents the Father. Now over the page, here's the third reason. Verses 22 to 24. Jesus says, If you're a Christian, the world will hate you because Jesus shows them up. And if we follow Jesus and his apostles, so will we. So look at this. Look at the, the reasoning here. Verse 22. Jesus says, If I hadn't come and spoken to them, and the words he spoke were the Father's words, they would not be guilty of sin. Literally, they wouldn't have sin. In other words, they wouldn't carry their sin around with them. It's something they can't get rid of. There's a guilt, the burden they can't get rid of. Now, Jesus cannot mean literally that if he hadn't come, the world would all have been fine. That would be absurd. Otherwise, why come? But the point he's making is that the fact that he was there and he spoke to them, he spoke to them the words of the Father, words of perfect truth. And they rejected him. They can no longer plead ignorance. So he said, now I've come and I've spoken to them. Um, verse 22. They've got no excuse for their sin. Before they might have had some sense of, well, I haven't really heard it very clearly. They're still guilty. Still under the judgment of God. Still guilty for things that we do wrong because we know that they're wrong. But now it's really upfront clear. No excuse, because Jesus has been there walking amongst them. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my Father as well, because Jesus represents the Father. And then verse 24, if I hadn't done among them what no one else did, they wouldn't have sin. They wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these miracles and yet they've hated me and my father. Jesus walked on earth and did what no one else had ever done. The most extraordinary things. Chapters 1 to 12 of John's Gospel, John gives us a little selection of them. But you know the extraordinary thing is that there were some people who were there at the grave of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Who knew that Lazarus had been dead four days, that his body was beginning to decompose. They knew that, they were local people some of them. 
and they saw Jesus Christ stand outside the tomb of Lazarus and they heard him say to a man who had been dead four days Lazarus come out and they saw this dead man walk out and they hated Jesus because we read in chapter 11 some of them went straight off to the Pharisees to tell tales on them and say well you're going to have to do something about this man he's obviously a troublemaker that's extraordinary but that's the human heart so Jesus says that they hate me because I show them up now to some extent it's going to be true with us that the, the employee who does not fiddle their expenses will not be very popular with those who do any of you here ever been on a work trip somewhere and other people are fiddling their expenses and if you don't it's going to show them up doesn't make us popular does it the person who's faithful if they're married to their wife or, or husband isn't going to be terribly welcome in a pub gathering of, of people who want it to be acceptable to sleep around or to commit adultery the person who tells the truth and won't exaggerate or spin is uh, going to show up others who speak differently so there's the third reason now here's the fourth the fourth is no reason at all and in a way this is the climax verse 25 verse 25 this is to fulfill this hatred this hatred for Jesus and this hatred for the apostles and now hatred for Christians is to fulfill what is written in their law their law that is the, 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 an umbrella term for the whole of the Old Testament as we call it and then there's a quotation from one of the Psalms we're not sure which because it comes up more than once maybe Psalm 35 maybe Psalm 69 it doesn't matter they hated me without reason they hated me without a cause plenty of times you and I are hated with good reason isn't that right plenty of times people treat me badly and I've, I mean I've got it coming to me I've, you know, I've behaved badly I deserve it but when Jesus walked on earth they hated him without any good reason at all completely and utterly without reason now this is really important I don't know if you are a Christian you've tried to talk with non-Christian people about sin you know, you've tried to explain in terms they can understand what it means and my guess is that many of us have found that non-Christian people say well why do you be so negative about it why are you always so downbeat about it and negative surely human beings are basically good you come across that human beings are basically good people and, and sometimes we're a bit stuck you need to know quite what to say to them well here's what the Bible says the Bible says if you and I think human beings are basically good let's have a look and see what happens when perfect goodness perfect beauty perfect truth and perfect love walks on earth and human beings hate him that's the proof of human sinfulness see if people hate me They've, they've probably got some reason for hating me because I'm, I'm you know, a messed up person but when people hated Jesus and the people who hated Jesus are no different from us they're no worse than us we're exactly the same by nature when people hated Jesus they hated without a reason now to some extent that had been the experience of godly people all through the Old Testament period which is why it's in the Psalms King David and others they hated me without reason it was unfair hatred but supremely that's true with Jesus and therefore we must expect the world to hate us it's really important this it's something that um, 
If we have dealings with Muslim friends, they cannot understand. Because right in the, in, the, in the kind of infrastructure, the basic foundation of Islam is that their founder expected to conquer and to come out on top. And in the foundational structure of Christian faith is that our founder expected to be hated without reason. So our, our default position, our wallpaper as it were, is that we expect to be hated without reason. And if you have a good day and, you know, if somebody doesn't hate you without reason, we're meant to say, well, you know, the oddest thing happened to me today and people didn't hate me. But when they do, we're to say, oh, well, this is, we're back to normal now. That's what we expect. They don't expect to be treated well. Now, here's some good news. Verses 26 and 27. Jesus goes on to teach that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will witness, will bear testimony and therefore we must witness too. 26. When the counsellor comes, the helper, it's the Greek word from which we get the word paraclete, and it means something like a helping presence. And he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's speak, spoken of him before in chapter 14, uh, from verse 15 onwards. second half of chapter 14 is about the ministry, the work of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the counsellor. When the counsellor comes the helper whom I will send to you from the father after the cross Jesus is going to pour ask the father and he'll pour the spirit out on believers the spirit of truth one who always bears truthful witness to Jesus testifies truthfully about Jesus who goes out from the father he the spirit is a person not just an influence he will testify about me now, testimony is a great theme in John's Gospel. Right back in chapter 1, John the Baptist bears testimony. That's John the Baptist's job, is to be a witness. He's not to point to himself, but to point to Jesus. And all down John's Gospel, people bear testimony. Chapter 4, some of the Samaritan woman bears testimony. says, I want to tell you about Jesus. And again and again, people say, I want to tell you about Jesus. And Jesus now says that the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, his love... His delight is to bear witness to Jesus. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, one of the things to remember is that that's what he loves to do. The last thing the Holy Spirit wants is to see a sign outside a building saying, Holy Spirit Church. Because the Holy Spirit will say, no, 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 don't do that. I want you to put Jesus Church, Christian Church, because he's bearing witness to Jesus. That's his delight. That's his work in the world. We'll see this um, t tomorrow morning particularly. The Spirit is, as it were, Jesus' legal counsel or advocate. He conducts Jesus' lawsuit before the world. And he speaks to the world on behalf of Jesus. The world is hostile to Jesus, but the Spirit speaks to the world on behalf of Jesus. But you know, the really interesting question is, how does the Spirit do this? How does he do this testimony? Look on to verse 27. Jesus goes on, and you also, speaking Im immediately to the eleven apostles... You also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now that can't be true of us. That's true of the apostles. They were with him from the beginning, from the days of John the Baptist, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, all the way through. And a few days' time they're going to be witnesses of his resurrection. You've been with me from the beginning. You're the eyewitnesses. And so you must bear witness. Now what's the relationship between the witness of the Spirit in verse 20? 
um, 6 and the witness of the apostles in verse 27 we're not told because they're just placed side by side but there's just the suggestion that the normal vehicle for the spirit's testimony to Jesus the normal way in which the spirit speaks to the world about Jesus is through the courageous testimony of Christian people under pressure I don't think we can be absolutely dogmatic and say that the Spirit never testifies to Jesus in any other way. There are wonderful stories, aren't there, of Muslims, um, particularly for some reason, having, having dreams through which it seems that the Holy Spirit speaks to them of Jesus, leads to their conversion. Is that marvellous? Why shouldn't he? You know, it would be, be absurd to say God can't do that. But it does seem that the normal vehicle for the ministry of the Spirit witnessing to Jesus the normal vehicle is the courageous testimony to start with of the apostles who have been with him from the beginning and now of Christian people who give the apostles testimony so our testimony is to say we believe that the apostles testimony is right their testimony was eyewitness testimony they were with him from the beginning we saw, we heard, we looked upon, we touched you know we were there we can't say that but we can say we believe that they were right that they were trustworthy men and so as we give their testimony we find that we're the vehicle of the, the Holy Spirit giving his testimony through us his testimony is primary it's not that we give testimony and with a bit of luck and a following wind the Holy Spirit gives his through us it's that he gives his testimony and he uses us to do it he's God it's not that I'm, I'm superior or you or I are superior to the Spirit his testimony is primary now the implication of this is that the ministry of the spirit is not given in the holy huddle or the ghetto if you and I want to know the, the, the work of the spirit in and through our lives we need to be seeking to be out there giving testimony to Jesus and it's as we give testimony to Jesus under pressure it's that time perhaps even this coming Monday when the conversation at work goes what were you doing at the weekend or oh, it's just away with some friends what were you doing at the weekend? Actually, our church had a, had a weekend. We were, we were learning about Jesus, encouraging one another about Jesus. Oh. And you may find it's very English and they just changed the subject. <laughs> or you may find they, they engage. I mean, you might have a really lucky day and they'll be interested. Or you may find there's a hostility there. Just a sense of hostility there. That, 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 in which case, that's entirely normal. But that's when we know the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now Jesus finishes off in verses 1 to 4 by saying you must expect to be hated. This is my last point. You must expect to be hated. If you don't expect that you're going to be disillusioned with Jesus. Verse 1. All this I have told you, says Jesus, so that you will not go astray. Go astray is actually slightly soft. Our translators haven't really helped us there. Go astray means fall away. So I, I, I've told you this so that you won't fall away, so that you won't turn your back on Christ. Stop being a Christian. So Jesus says, I've told you all this stuff about the world hating you and expecting that, and about the witness and ministry of the Spirit. I've told you this because if you don't get hold of this, you 11 apostles, but it's the same for us, then you're going to fall away and you're going to give up. And you're going to say that Christianity didn't do what it said on the tin. Not on the tin that I was given anyway. It's very important that the tin we give people says this on the outside. 
come and be a Christian and be hated perhaps we can call that our passion for life meetings do you want to be really hated become a Christian that's what Jesus says I mean there's lots of good news with it but but it's part of it isn't it so verse 2 he says they will put you out of the synagogue that, that, that expression out of the synagogue in their day meant exclusion from respectable society no longer belonging being put outside in our case it's more sort of metaphorical and, and that word out of the synagogue has come twice before um, in John's gospel back in chapter 9 Jesus gave sight to a man who had been born blind and because he did it on a Saturday um, there was trouble because Saturday was the Sabbath and the religious authorities were very cross and there was all sorts of questioning going on nobody cared about the fact that he had been given his sight but they minded very much that Jesus had done it on a Saturday and so they quizzed the man's parents and they said you know what's going on and who is this is, is this your son was he the one who was born blind what's going on etc and the parents John tells us were very frightened chapter 9 verse 22 they were very frightened because the, the, the Pharisees had said that anybody could confess that Jesus was the Christ anyone who said they were on Jesus side would be put out of the synagogue and so they fudged it and didn't give testimony to Jesus and in chapter 12 chapter 12 verse 42 there's an extraordinary thing chapter 12 verse 42 we're told that, that, that many of the really powerful people the rulers, the leaders of, 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 of Israel believed in Jesus but they were frightened of the Pharisees who were the religious stormtroopers of the day popular local people, stormtroopers really they were frightened of the Pharisees that they'd be put out of the synagogue and you've got this extraordinary thing in chapter 12 that these powerful people, the people with the top jobs living in the big houses and so on were, were actually scared to stand up for Jesus they knew he was right in their hearts and they were scared to stand up for Jesus because they were going to be put out of the synagogue and now Jesus says to his 11 apostles that's exactly what they're going to do they're going to put you out of the synagogue now for Christians in many parts of the world this is really tough isn't it many parts of the world it means if I stand up as a Christian my children are never going to get to university never going to, I'm never going to get a decent job maybe I'm going to be, be harassed maybe I'm going to be beaten up by the police all sorts of things many Christian brothers and sisters that's what it means for them and Jesus says don't let anyone say I didn't warn you that's how it's going to be they hated me they'll hate you now, it may be that in this country things are going to get tougher plenty of parts of the world where it is the moment it isn't very tough is it but the time may come when one of us has to go to prison for standing up for Jesus and for Christian truth and when that time comes nobody can say Jesus didn't tell us and it's very striking how often how much of the hostility came from religious people you see verse, verse uh, 3 sorry verse 2 in fact says Jesus a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God isn't that extraordinary somebody's reminded us that a sermon was preached at the burning of, our, of um, Thomas Cranmer and Thomas Cranmer the Protestant Archbishop was burnt for his faith in Jesus a sermon was preached people thought they were serving God by doing that 
Plenty of Christians are Russia, in Russia are persecuted by the Russian Orthodox Church. Plenty of biblical Christians in France are isolated, regarded as a sect, by the Roman Catholic Church. Some of us will have had some experience not, not as strong as that, but anyone who's worked in a school where there is some kind of a chaplain or lay chaplain, if they're a liberal Christian, you'll find they're your biggest opponent if you're trying to do faithful Bible gospel work. When I was a, a minister, we shared a church school with the next-door parish. Next-door parish, the vicar was a liberal Catholic, didn't really believe the gospel. And we had a great controversy on the governors about whether or not we should appoint a practicing Muslim as a class teacher in this Church of England church school. And I had to say I didn't feel it was appropriate uh, in, a, in a teaching position like that to have a practicing member of another um, religion. And my biggest opponent on the governing body, you've guessed it, was the next door vicar. It was a very unedifying spectacle, actually, these two Church of England vicars at loggerheads like that. It is religious people who will hate real Christianity most. Unconverted religious people are the worst zealots in the world. And there's an urgency about this. You see verse 3, they'll do these things, this sort of thing, because they haven't known the Father or me. They're unconverted. And Jesus says, I've told you this, so that when the time comes, he will remember that I warned you. I didn't tell you this at first because I was with you. And while Jesus was with, the, with them, they didn't experience it. Even at his arrest in chapter 18. Do you remember Jesus' arrest? Who are you looking for, says Jesus, in John chapter 18? Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. Well, if you're looking for Jesus, that's me. Let these men go. And he protected them. But when he was gone, their fire was turned on the apostles. It's always the pastors who, who are in the firing line, isn't it? It's always the leaders. It's the Christians who will be open and up front who are in the firing line. And Jesus says, you've got to know this. Don't be surprised by it. Don't give up on being a Christian. Because you and I will find that as we take our life in our hands in the workplace or in some social and we speak for Jesus falteringly and perhaps not very well, I I'm I'm find it really difficult to do this nerve-wracking, difficult to know what to say, keep saying the wrong things. But as we do that, we may find that we are the vehicle of the Holy Spirit giving his testimony to the world. So it's a bit of a downbeat message, that one, isn't it? We'll, we'll have some much more cheerful news tomorrow. Um, but we do need to hear this, don't we? If someone here, you're not a Christian, just, it would be lovely for you to become a Christian. It's the most important thing in the world. Your life is going to be completely wasted if you're not part of the vine. You won't achieve anything lasting for the good of the world without that. But you do need to understand that if you're lined up with Jesus and with his apostles and with the Bible, there will be times when you're hated. Let's be quiet for a moment and I'll pray. When the counsellor comes, the spirit of truth, he will testify about me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the spirit. We thank you for his wonderful work of bearing testimony to you, pointing men and women to you, standing up for you. And we pray that you would give us the courage, joyfully, to follow in your footsteps and the footsteps of your apostles. 
in standing up for you even when it's costly and we pray that when it is costly you would help us not to be surprised thank you for warning us and telling us in advance in your name Amen